welcome to the Dark Path Podcast. Thanks for your time again. I'm very happy uh, to be sitting here uh, and having a, a, a friend on again that we've had on podcast once before. So welcome back, Justin. Um, how are you doing? How's the year going so far? Uh, good, good. It's uh, it's been a it's been a long year already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how you know that question really is like you know how are you doing? It's like the the impulsive response is oh it's great everything's great. And, you know, as long as your life, ha- you have your house hasn't burnt down or something, then that's true in a relative sense. But I, um, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but uh, but everything's more or less stable and, and, and all that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, thing, things are stable, but which are good. There, there hasn't been any new crazy surprises in, in my life or society at large, which is which is nice. We can we could all use the break from from mm. more craziness. Yeah, when I was listening to you know another podcast because you're always when you get into this world you get into it and um, um, I don't know if you know who this was but there was a guy named Titnahan who was a Cambodian monk. You ever heard of him? Oh, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, he um, he was really really good at talking about Buddhist perspectives in life in a real simple way, and he you know I think he got to be almost a hundred but he passed away two weeks ago a week ago. Oh wow. And um, so, you know, just a moment to sort of recognize the guy and think about him. And I've read a few of his books and I've really enjoyed them from that super simplistic, taking the time to enjoy life in the moment sort of perspective. So, um, so anyways, that really does help <laughs> when the storms are brewing around you. If you can notice the beautiful sun that we have sunlight, you know, coming in the window that I have here or, you know, whatever the situation is, um, it does help sustain more clarity. But anyway... I thought we'd jump into our uh, topic of uh, our main topic because you're the uh, cryptocurrency guy. <laughs> and um, I wanted to share this with you, um, the feedback that I've been, uh, some, I've asked people all the time, you know, feedback from, from the chats. And this one came up a number of times. And I think it's a really interesting one and important one. I don't know how to address it fully, but it was, I don't understand. <laughs> I just just the blankness uh, in the mind is just like, it just can't grasp the abstraction that is uh, a digital currency because it seems to be, and this is maybe where I can get to to jump in is it seems to be that people really do have this assumption that currencies are physical somehow. And that even our current ones aren't still tangible in that way. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a concept called hard, hard currency, which is like, the coins in, in your pocket and the, the physical cash, but um, I, I would doubt that many people have the majority of all the money that they have in cash, right? Like they, they can't feel it. They can go to a bank and in theory take out cash, but there's a limit to how much you can get. And it's, 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 impractical. it's impractical to have, you know, all cash all the time, right? Like it doesn't make much sense. So what we have already in many respects is a digital currency. The Canadian dollar, the US dollar is overwhelmingly a uh, digital currency already. Um, It's just within this system of the existing banking system. They have computers and they have databases. And in that database, there's your account and that account has a number in it. It has a a ledger with, with your number in it. What cryptocurrencies is is essentially just a a different way of having that database 
of having, so it's not just some bank, it is a database that is owned by really nobody that has account number and number of coins within it. Mm-hmm. The, the other difference is it's usually not US dollars or Canadian dollars that's in that account. So it's something like Bitcoin or it's something like Ethereum or, or any of the other altcoins. Um, but even with things like um, uh, within the Ethereum blockchain, uh, there's a concept called stable coins. And essentially it's a token that is essentially pegged to the US dollar. And there's a number of these different um, uh, uh, stable coins. Um, the biggest one, or the, the, the first one was Tether, um, which is um, has some big problems, um, but there's newer ones that have come up, um, like USDC by Circle, which is a uh, US company that has created a stable coin called USDC. And basically you can trade um, on a crypto exchange, your Bitcoin or your Ethereum for this USDC, and what the company Circle does, which which develops and owns USDC, is they will buy the equivalent amount of US dollars in their treasury and sell that amount based on how many people are buying and selling their USDC. So it's pegged to the US dollar. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that points to a, a point of exchange that's starting to streamline a little or, or become more possible in terms of that. Um, yeah, it's really important in the ecosystem too, because the big problem with these, with Bitcoin and with Ethereum is that they are very volatile. Mm. You can go up 80%, you can go down 80%, and that can happen you know, within a day kind of thing. Mm. Um, as far as currencies go, that's not great. You don't want <laughs> your, your purchasing power to be that volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's going down or it's going up, you can move to the more stable currency, which is you know the US dollar at this point. Um, and it essentially gives you that kind of safe haven um, mm-hmm. and allows you to kind of you know diversify your, your volatility, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And okay. So just to, I want to pull it back just to these, these real basic yep. concepts because a lot of people um, still are very new and even don't even really understand um, this stuff even exists properly. So I remember many years ago doing this um, weekend um, self-help guru, financial guru thing, um, which had some goofy elements, but a few pretty good tidbits as well. So one of those things. And one of them was this whole thing where you, figured out what kind of relationship you want to have with money. And um, it was actually a pretty useful thing to think about it because most of the time, up until that point in my life, I'd never even considered money to be something that I had a relationship with and, and, and how it affected me. And what I, what I came out from that was, I really don't want to have to deal with it. I just want to do the things I want to do. <laughs> and what that helped me realize was at the, be- at the bottom of, 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 of what money represents is trust in that I can exchange my time for value. And that community, in the community that I live within, I can then sustain myself. That's how I know I have to survive, right? We don't hunt anymore directly, although some people do, but you know, most of us don't. We need to know that when we put our time in to get the paycheck or get the um, whatever, that that value is going to be worth something. 
And so the, I think that's a lot of why people are having trouble to expand into this different, you know, of, uh, evolution of money and also just letting go of the notions that maybe are instinctually there, like it's a physical thing, but it's not and, and all of that. Um, because there is an evolution happening. And what you're talking about with all this stuff is it's happening. This isn't just a, a thought. Um, and, and if we don't, if in, in just in history, right, if we don't pay enough attention to these things as they, as they emerge, they can fall into the pits of despair. They can rise to crazy things. All kinds of shit can happen. Um, so yeah, some, some better communications about that, but, but can, can I ask you this then? So how does, how does the, how does it differ between national currencies like the Canadian dollar and cryptocurrencies in terms of how you can conceive of the trust you would have in that currency? Yeah. Um, it, you're right in identifying that it all does come down to trust at the end of the day, that, that you trust that the person that you're buying from and the per and that, that the purchaser and the purchasee both agree that $10 is worth $10 or 10 yen or 10, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it does come down to trust. And, and basically what we're doing is we're trusting in institutions to guarantee that value. We're trusting in the, um, Canadian or the U.S. monetary system, uh, we're, we're trusting the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada to set the value of the dollar. We're trusting the bank that holds our money and the credit card that if we're, if we're paying for something with credit card, we're trusting that the credit card is going to, that the credit card company is going to pay the merchant and then they're trusting us, the, the MasterCard is trusting us that we're going to pay them. Um, and they have ways of enforcing that trust. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and that does speak to that, that there, there's also this entire legal system that surrounds mm. that. And it's all guaranteeing this, this trust. It's, it's an entire um, complex of institutions that is all trying to guarantee the relative value of money, mm -hmm. be that Canadian dollars or US dollars or you know, whatever other national currency. Um, the way that cryptocurrency works is it's, well, what if the trust mechanism, what if the thing that we're trusting is different? It, we have a different way of guaranteeing that trust where we can still say, yes, this $10 is worth $10 and I'm gonna pay you this $10 and you're gonna receive that $10 and it's worth $10. Cryptocurrency allows for a different method of getting that trust instead of trusting that there's a bank and they're going to do their thing and the government and they're going to do their thing and there's a legal system and they're going to do their thing. What you're trusting in is a clever set of technological solutions that will guarantee that when you pay someone that they receive it and that it goes from one account to the other account. Um, and it does this through what's called a consensus algorithm. Um, I talked about this a little bit last time, um, but basically it's a way of <laughs> distributing the holder. Um, so how do I explain this? At the bank, they have a database, they have your account, they have the number in your account. Mm -hmm. In a blockchain system and cryptocurrency, what you have is everyone has a copy of that database. So if you're running a, a Bitcoin node, that node is going to have a copy of 
everyone's account and all the numbers in that, those account. Um, and it's going to have all the history of all the transactions ever made in the network. Um, and because it's, you know, clever technologists, they made it so that it's actually quite small and that even with consumer level hardware, even with like a laptop, um, you can have the entire history of, of Bitcoin's transactions. Okay, so, so right there, though, I wouldn't mind just stopping for one second is that sounds to me like the equivalency would be like if I went into the bank, the, I go to Van City, but whatever bank, yeah. um, I would have access to knowing how much money everybody else in that bank has in their accounts. You would be able to see all the accounts and you would be able to see all the history of all transactions that have been made. Okay, so that sounds concerning in, in the sense of privacy, right? Yes, it is pseudo-anonymous in the sense of you don't have a name attached to it. It's just an address. It's a, the account number. Hmm. Now, if you could have tied that account number to someone, if you could verify that, oh, that guy used that account and that's how it works, then yes, you would be able to actually track their, their transactions. It is in the open. Hmm. Um, it is definitely something that is not really explored all that much how that affects um in some respects it's really good like a public company or a charitable mm. organization um you definitely want to see that out in the open mm -hmm. um however for some people um it might not be a great thing um especially if you're um you know, someone targeted for harassment or something, being able to see the transactions would probably be just another vector for harassment that um, isn't explored all that well. Yeah. And, and, and actually, I think this ties into this concept of trust in, in another way that I think is important here too, or at least seems important is um, one of the things about privacy that I think is important to me in my life is that, um, is that it means that uh, I have to be trusted to make good decisions for myself. Like that there's no oversight to tell me what to do. You're set, you say to the individual, and that's every individual, make the choices, you know, eat the shit food if you want, um, you know, do whatever. Um, and I, that's important to me that that, that choice is there. Um, and I was thinking about this in, in, in another way uh, because of all those things going on in the world. But if I really trusted the government and I really trusted the officials in various financial worlds or markets or whatever, um, I think that I'd be more open to what I know is inevitable, where all of this stuff will be, everything that's done online will ultimately be available somehow in some way. Like I know that that's ultimately inevitable, but it's just that I don't feel like there's, like we've, we've had generations of, of, of governmental control that is pseudo trustworthy at best. And so there's this feeling of being like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that element of it on the surface. So, so I think maybe that, yeah, it might be good for that to be communicated more and, and, and fleshed out more and understood. There are um, um, private coins where basically it, it makes it so that you can't track the transactions. There's whole blockchains that are developed so that it is private. Um, However, they have been highly targeted by governments because it's very hard to regulate those things. Yeah. Um, and so when, when you look at the value of those coins, it's, it's, it's one of those, it, it falls into that classic argument of, um, well, it should be out in the open unless you have something to hide. Mm 
yeah unless you've done something wrong it falls in and that argument is like for almost <laughs> there's so many there's so many ways in which we fall into that argument for so many different things yeah. it's just one of those things um it it feels to me like one of the compromises um the cryptocurrency industry has made with um governments is to kind of shy away from these private coins in order to give it a bit more legitimacy mm. in the eyes of these kind of politicians and, and regulators. Um, okay. Well, okay. So, so if we're talking about Canadian currency, I, and I'm just thinking about this right now, like this is just coming through my head now, but if, if you know, basically I buy most of my stuff um, with my bank debit card, like when I go in and I just mm -hmm. tap the card, there's a record of that transaction, right? Like that exists. Correct. So, so yeah, that's not like that is totally new. Um, and, but, but let's say for some reason, somebody wanted to do something that wasn't a, you couldn't buy with a debit card. You could take cash. Right. Um, so you can't do that with a cryptocurrency directly. You can't exchange your Bitcoin or percentage of your Bitcoin for direct cash. In you, you, well, you can't go to like an A, an AT, well, you, can go to an ATM. There, there are Bitcoin ATMs. Um, the, the trade value isn't all that good. They, they charge a whole lot of fees. That's a trade um, thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but really, um, I mean, it is a trade because you're going from one currency, yeah. if you consider Bitcoin a currency, to another currency, Canadian yeah. dollars. Yeah. So it would be an exchange of, of currencies in that, in that respect. Hmm. Um, but if the merchant that you are buying this thing from that doesn't necessarily take a debit card if they take bitcoin then you could send if they give you an, a bitcoin address you could send them bitcoin and they could it would be verified that yes they got it and then you would get the goods and services yeah. um that's the medium of exchange that's that's using it as a currency um a lot of cryptos aren't really used as um a method of um as a medium of exchange uh, because a you get double taxed because you're basically when you buy something it's a taxable event in the sense of like from regulars point of view it's like you're selling a stock it's like you're exchanging uh, one apple stock for whatever you're getting so you get taxed for trading something and then usually you get taxed for goods and services tax like mm -hmm. GST or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's it's double taxed in that way. Um, the other thing is currently blockchains are um, quite slow um, compared to something like Visa, which is you tap a, your, your debit card or your credit card and it's instantly accepted. Um, with a blockchain, it's very much a tap, wait for several confirmations as it propagates throughout the network. Mm -hmm. And then when there's enough confirmations, then you can trust, yes, this person received it, that person um, mm -hmm. received it. Now that's minutes, but if you're waiting for your payment to go through buying a coffee, waiting minutes isn't going to be a great thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. So let's, let's, let's say this to the people that are still struggling with the concept that, um, basically everything that human beings do starts in abstraction. So you have to think about what a wheel is before you can make a wheel. It didn't just appear out of nowhere. And so that is, this is a continuation of human evolution. This is um, us, to me, I, I should say, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm, I'm the voice of everything here. <laughs> um, I, 
I see this as, as, as we've, we've, we've always had to struggle to try to figure out how to make what we would call an economy work for society to function. We need that exchange. We've gone, you know, historically, there's been a lot of experimental stuff going on and some of it worked, some of it didn't. We've come up to this point now, and maybe you want to tie into this a bit too, is we've actually embraced the abstract nature of currency for quite a while because as you've said, we can't not like if we took all the money that was in 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 the environment in the public realm um, in Canada um, and tried to like you know make it physicalized right like it wouldn't work it, it's just yeah. there's not enough of that material so so we've already basically done this and so some people who are more aware of this because they're more computer um, scientist types and this kind of thing um, have tried to figure out a way to make that more useful in uh, in in that they see that. How do I phrase this? That the fiat currencies we've been using are are not sustaining themselves over time very well, and yeah. you know we have inflation issues brewing, and the national debt is the most absurd number you can imagine. Um, the American national debt is is beyond fathomable, right? It doesn't make any yeah. sense, um, and and so 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 yeah. Do you see it that way as, as like? as like the, the evolution of this concept of currency that we've worked on is got this new tentacle sort of growing out of it in a sense. It is very much uh, an evolution of the concept of money, um, similar to how, you know, paper money was revolutionary um, in the times of um, coins, mm -hmm. right? Like a gold coin was a gold coin, that's money. And so if everybody's using gold coins, and someone says, well, I have this piece of paper and this piece of paper is worth one of those gold coins. That, like there are so many debates going on at the time, like how, how would that work? How um, some countries yeah. would use this, um, other countries wouldn't use this. Um, and so this is one of those evolutions. Um, it was an evolution, this, this evolution is really born out of the fact that at a fundamental level, the internet is, a pillar of our global society. Mm -hmm. It's we're, we're talking on the internet right now. That's how mm -hmm. we're communicating. Um, we have a global community because we have this glo global tech, this global network that allows us to talk to each other um, very, very quickly um, where there isn't really any one owner of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's no king of the internet. There's, <laughs> There's some very powerful people that have developed very powerful networks mm -hmm. on top of the internet, um, and we know who they all are. There's the the Zuckerbergs and yeah. and, the, and the likes of those. Um, but out of this technology, we're able to then say, well, what if there was a internet digitally native currency system? And it's very much out of that tradition of we're going from coins to paper currency. Well, now we're going from a, a digital currency that's in your bank, that's already just a ones and zeros in somebody's databases at RBC or, uh, you know, TD or whatever your bank is. Um, and then moving that out of that database and into a database that's owned by all the participants within uh, that network. So it's I think a lot of one of the problems that a lot of people have is they don't think about money 
all that much. Money, mm -hmm. money is just money. And, and the way that this is described to me was when you talk to really religious people, um, people who believe strongly in, in God or, and that whole thing, um, they don't really question what God is or what it means to have a supreme being. They, they just trust that that's, that's what it is because they're religious and, and that's how they view the world. Um, when people start losing their religion, in many cases, it's because they start to challenge, they start to challenge that abstract notion. They're like, well, what is it really? And how does it work? And logically, how would you put, how does this fit in a, you know, mm -hmm. you start questioning these things. Mm -hmm. I think for people who they don't get it, it's because they don't really think about money. They've never really had to. And it's, it's just kind of it's just there. It's the water in which we're swimming. The, the fish doesn't really consider the water. It's just there all around it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so for some of us, um, a, a growing amount of people are questioning what money is and what money means. And we're doing that because of some of the issues that you were mentioning, that the monies that we have are weakening. Excellent. I just there's going to be a garbage truck outside my window. I'm going to close my window. One sec. I meant to do that before we started recording. I'll just clip this out. Yes. So please, please um, pick up on what you just said, though. That, that was important. Yeah. So I think more and more people are starting to question what money is. They're starting to challenge that notion. They're starting to think about the concept of money um, for a lot of the reasons that you were mentioning before, that the existing monetary system is I, I, most charitably under strain, um, but more realistically um, devaluing at, at, at an alarming rate. Um, most people don't know this, but 42% of all the money created in the history of the US dollar was created in the last two years. It's a lot of monies. Oh my, that's a big number. I knew it was something like that, but that's a big number. That's a 42, really 42%. So oh, like, yeah, that's not sustainable over time. Like, you, and this is something I've thought about from, like I've been thinking about my sort of political evolution in life a little bit too, because I think like a lot of people, I was more idealistic when I was younger. And then you get a little more, as you get older, you get more sensible. Um, but what really initiated me into, um, into just how crazy and, 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 and impossible to, to verify the reality of it, in terms of politics was I was 21 years old when 9-11 happened. And that was when I was starting to wake up to politics naturally anyways. And then after that, we had the Iraq war and we had the weapons of mass destruction lies and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, it's a big fucking mess. It's just a big, big, ugly mess. Um, and I see, I saw that there was major disconnects happening between groups. And one of the things I'm really concerned about and that you touched on exactly is is that we have a monetary system that doesn't seem to be making working very well in, in a real law, especially a long-term um, perspective. Um, and we have this new thing kind of emerging that has some really interesting potential, but, and I can like, I would, I would, I would say I could liken this to other elements of the societal situation we're in, 
something is emerging and it's coming up and against something that isn't working very well, but is well established. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you take that metaphor and you put it into a single body, what you have is a tumor that's coming up. Now that could be, a, you know, not a big deal, or that could become metastasized into a cancer because of the way the relationship between what was and what is evolves. And I'm not too, I don't have a lot of faith that the powers that be that have entrenched themselves, or, you know, um, that are entrenched right now are going to just willingly allow a new thing to come in and sort of displace their positions. So uh, maybe, maybe do you, do you have thoughts on like how this could evolve positively and how we the checks and balances of it could work so that that doesn't lead to catastrophe? Yeah. Um, there's, so kind of this this concept of um, how to boil it down, how nation states are going to interact with um, cryptocurrency. How, how does that happen? Um, one good theory I, I saw on this was nations have three ways of interacting with crypto or with any new technology, really. Um, they can isolate it, they can integrate it, or they can regulate it. Mm. Um, in terms of something like China, they've chosen to isolate from it. They've banned it. They've banned on mining. Um, in fact, one of the biggest developments over 2021 was China, for real this time, <laughs> banned Bitcoin and all cryptocurrencies, um, including miners, which was um, before they would ban it, but they would allow these giant mining corporations to kind of continue um, creating new Bitcoin and then selling it off to the marketplace. They banned those in 2021 as well. Um, so that's a method of isolation. Um, in the US, there's right now a big debate on what that choice is. It seems like there's a lot of pressure to try and regulate it um, where they have, here are the rules. Here, This is the definitive rule book for better or for worse. And I think that would actually be really good for crypto in general because it, it, it gives you a playbook by which crypto companies can kind of develop and do things and interact with the you know, economic system. And it gives the regulators a framework for you're not doing this, so we're going to punish you and you're doing this, so we're going to leave you alone and have, have a playbook. Um, I think in the short term, that's probably the best thing the, the best thing that could happen to crypto in the near term is legitimate regulation, not over onerous, you know, not trying to, you know, tacitly destroy it through over regulation or mm -hmm. not letting some of the bad elements within crypto because there are bad elements because it's a new thing mm -hmm. um, and it's unregulated. So you have people that are drawn to unregulated activities uh, to use this thing. Mm -hmm. um, having regulations in place allows us to kind of set the playing field um, and allows it to interact with the existing system. If, if that happens, then I think you see a lot of natural growth. And really what it does is it allows this technology to stand up on its own two legs, whether, whether or not the world starts to transition to this more because there's a good use case involved, having it regulated allows us to actually have that conversation honestly because right now it's like, well, if we could do this, then, you know, it would, it would obviously be better. Well, let's prove that out that the, the whole point of a capitalist society is that you're 
what's supposed to happen is you have competition and that gives you essentially survival of the fittest for whatever technology mm-hmm. or, or company that that's there. Um, now, whether or not we live in a capitalist society is a completely other conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can table that. Um, so in the near term, regulation, I think, is actually a good thing. Um, as time goes on, um, one of the big problems or one of the interesting things that we've seen in, in crypto recently is just how much money has poured into crypto as an asset class. Um, you know, we went from something like $10,000 per Bitcoin to $60,000 per Bitcoin, back down to $30,000 per Bitcoin. Like the amount of growth, and this is, I think, at the top of 2020 when this huge scissoring started to happen, um, has caused a lot of speculation to come in. Um, what's interesting is you talked about this has a lot of potential and it does have a lot of potential, but right now where we are, what is actually capable is quite limited because it hasn't had the time to develop. It hasn't had the time to really come into its own. There's still big problems with you know waiting minutes for that transaction to go through. That's a technological problem that just takes time to fix and people are fixing it, mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of measured in years. In the meantime, since you know 2020, where the big bull run really started and has continued on till kind of this day, where we're starting to see the kind of turn into more bearish territory. But what we've seen is a lot of money coming into something that really doesn't have enough to do with it. So what do you get? You get a lot of kind of scammers. You get a lot mm-hmm. of you know, pumpamental kind of hey, I got this great idea everybody piles in the kind of classic pump and dump scams. We, we get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the long term, what we need to see is some of that money leave, push the speculators out um, and really allow the kind of people that are working on, are on hard problems or interesting problems, um, allow them to develop the technology so that the next wave can inved- inevitably come. Um, basically it needs to develop more and we need to prove out some of these things if that doesn't happen then you get kind of this perverse incentive thing where it's not necessarily the best idea that wins it's the most profitable idea Hmm. Um, and this is actually one of the big problems with the existing monetary system as Mm -hmm. it regards to equities and and stocks Um, there's a lot of just out and out zombie companies. Mm-hmm. They have no revenue. They have no business. They just have a huge market cap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just have a lot of money invested into them. Um, and that momentum keeps them going. Um, that momentum, because the Federal Reserve will create money and then they will use quantitative easing to get it into the banking system, the banks won't lend to consumers but they will lend to these large companies because Mm -hmm. it's a safe place to lend, even though they have no revenue, they have no business, they just have a lot of collateral already. Mm -hmm. Um, So since 2008, that kind of, that, that giving money to the banks and the banks giving it to the largest means that we've seen a huge expansion of the amount of money in the world. Um, 
but it hasn't really done anything but benefit people who ha have invested in the stock market. <laughs> um, they kind of went too far with COVID though. <laughs> the lockdowns happened mm. and uh, they created 42% of all the money that's ever yeah. existed. Yeah. Um, and now they're coming to a point where it's like, oh, right, inflation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I want to just jump back for one second. You said there was three ways the government could potentially interact. Yes. And uh, so integrate, uh, regulate, or isolate. Integrate, regulate, or isolate. And you think regulation, at least at this point in the process, is best because it'll give guidelines and sort of riverbanks to the to the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, a country like El Salvador, which has made Bitcoin um, its official currency or one of its official currencies, um, its other official currency is the U.S. dollar. Mm. Um, it's a do it was a dollarized country. Um which means it wasn't in control of its own currency. So hmm. it couldn't do things like devalue its currency to make it more attractive for exports. Um, it was dollarized, it was pegged to the US dollar. Um, they recently made Bitcoin an official currency. Hmm. That's a example of integration. They have integrated it into their official processes. Um, that's the absolute best case for something like Bitcoin or these other things where mm -hmm. it allows, you know, it gives you really good use cases. You, they, they have to develop a system that you can buy bananas, like, you know, 50 cents worth of bananas mm -hmm. using Bitcoin really quickly because mm -hmm. they have that official use case. Interesting. Um, for something like the U.S., I think regulation makes more sense because the U.S. is what it is and cryptos is what it is it is. And I think that natural tension, I think regulation gives you the, here is the method by which we kind of connect each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of my main thoughts is like, how is that going to evolve? Is it going to be woven together in a way that's not going to cause chaos? But you know, um, when you bring up the regulation thing, and it's interesting because like so much of economy and politics and stuff comes down to this idea of trust. Like, do you trust the people controlling these things? And I get, I, I remember that Simpsons episode, which I'm sure you remember, it was like a long time ago. Homer Simpson and his friends become um, like um, vigilantes essentially, and Lisa says to him, "But if you're the police, who will police the police?" And then he goes, "I don't know, the Coast Guard." <laughs> And it's like, that's, uh, that's really funny, but it's, that's the question is like, you know, the regulations have to be done by people that are competent, that understand and have a sense of fairness and aren't playing on sides. And, and, and it's hard to trust right now in any of that in a large scale in the world. But, um, but um, just, just, just on that, um, I mean, the U.S., the, the U.S. democratic system was set up for just just for that problem hmm. like you had a separation of powers you had the the judicial system separate from the executive system separate from the the congressional system these were very separate entities just so that one set of people wouldn't be able to get all the control they wouldn't be able to um you wouldn't these people trust that one person can't make all these decisions right? They, mm -hmm. they set up this system and it's a quite a beautiful system and it worked for a long time. Um, the problem is I think that separation of powers is mm -hmm. becoming less and less relevant, mm -hmm. if not less and less strong, where there are entities that are able to convince each system 
um, the the judicial system, and like they're they're able to lobby the Congress, and they're able to pay for the best lawyers, and they're you know um, they have a former chairman on in the executive uh, branch, right? Yeah. Um, the the American system was created without knowledge of what a corporation is, <laughs> <laughs> and just the overwhelming power that corporations create, just a um, a group a group of people going towards a profit-seeking thing, you get to what's called the um, iron law of the oligarchy, mm. where all of human endeavors will eventually always form an oligarchy. Power mm. will always just, it's just a natural form. Yeah. I, I guess it has something to do with entropy or something, but there's something in humans that will always tend to go towards more and more centralization of power until eventually you know, you get to the one guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that is. Uh, I think they call that the Pareto distribution in uh, economics, and I and it. But it's also based on like a physical law. So, like the formation of planets is based on it too. And yep. it, there's like a gravity, right? Like it, things get pulled into a central point. Um, but I, I, I like how you said that the Americans had a really good uh, conception of how to manage that, um, and it, at, for the time that they created their initial governance. But, it, but again, it's this idea of evolution of things as they evolve and change. And so I'm, I'm a believer in the importance of consistent principles over time. So the principles that are inherent maybe in the conception of America and the creation of the Republic as they did it, but um, with the flexibility of evolving into these new circumstances that we're in. But I think, and I think the core threat there, because, you know, let's talk about how to fix the world, right, is... Um, accountability, a proper, clear public accountability. So you're in a position of power. Why did you make that decision? How did you come to the conclusion you came to? And can you show your work? And then the public can say, okay, I agree or I don't agree or whatever. But right now I feel like it's more like, no, you're wrong, right? Like that's what the, you get the message from. <laughs> um, and so that won't work. And, and so not only is the Pareto distribution a thing where power tends to, to, to accumulate in the center, but, you know, the other great adage of history is um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so that's, that is, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm basically, I'm borrowing a little bit from Jordan Peterson here because he does talk about this a lot, but, but that's what a civilization is, is a balance between the, the, the good and evil of it, right? The, the, the negative and the positive inclinations of humanity, which are always there and will always be there. And so, um, so for example, um, I have a student who, uh, well, I won't say who they are, but I think you know them. We are talking about um, the challenge of the new generation coming up and butting up against the old generation and how that's an ancient problem that's been going on forever. And so you, there's like mythologies about a king who becomes blind to the problems of the people. And then there's a young prince who comes up and he, you know, and so we're at a really, we're just experiencing that same thing, that fundamental, but in a totally novel way because of all the technology that's around this and the, and whatever. Um, and so one of the things I think about positive evolution for humanity is that we have to get comfortable in accepting the abstractions that we are using to, 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 to make society function. Because when you really, to me anyways, when I really grasp it, I was, oh yeah, this is all just thoughts that we create, that we agree on, that we set up as a, a thing. Like it doesn't exist in nature. Like there's no ATMs in the tree, right? Like there's, there's that doesn't exist. Is, is that means it's flexible. And that means that we can make it work for the best 
outcome we can create, but we have to communicate openly. We have to be honest with each other and we have to be accountable. And those things just need to be worked on. <laughs> the, the, the thing about all human systems is they, they have all the positives and flaws of humans mm -hmm. um, because it was humans that create them and humans that participate in them. Mm -hmm. um, that I think you're absolutely right in terms of things have to evolve, but um, in one of, one of the things I think about is things that evolve where there are no predators um, tend to evolve in one way and things that evolve in a place where there are predators tend to evolve in another hmm. way. Um, and I think actually for to look at it, the things that evolve where there's predators end up becoming stronger and faster over time than mm -hmm. those that don't have those pressures. Yeah. Um, I think that the global problems that we have, this is, this is really, you know, 20 years into kind of a really globalized society, maybe more than that. Um, but mm -hmm. a, a really globalized society, there's a lot of pressures that are, that are, that are there. There's, the, the systems that have been working for decades are starting to really come under enough strain to kind of start falling over in some places. You're seeing collapses in some places, but you're also seeing the new things coming up in other mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is just, this is how the forest gets, gets made and renewed mm. every year. One tree falls over, new plants spring up there. It's all just striving for you know, whatever light they can find. Um, I think all these human systems that we have, uh, they're coming under pressure, but I think even if there's predators, if they can survive, then they'll get stronger, they'll get better, they'll, you know, yeah. become more useful over time, yeah. uh, just like we will. Yeah, um, I like that analogy, because I've always been a fan of learning from nature, looking at nature and seeing what the lessons are there. And yeah, that, that relationship, um, Farley Mowat, that was the guy, um, I read his book when I was like a teenager and it's the never cry wolf. And it's the story of him going up North to study the wolves and having this conception of them as these horrible mean creatures. And then like working with the natives up there and the indigenous people up there and learning about the wolves from this whole different perspective. Um, and learning that actually they're really cooperative and brilliant. And all. So anyways, it's the same idea in that sense of, the perception i'm sorry i want to go back to something something came up in my mind is, and I, oh, I lost it <laughs> shit what was that i got caught up thinking oh predator and prey predator and prey that's what it was yes um oh, okay so predator and prey yeah so so there's this scene in that book that's what i was saying okay so there's a scene in that book and he's sitting on this hill and he's looking at a herd of caribou and he's with this indigenous guy who's like his guide and the wolves are kind of out on the outskirts of the herd and they're kind of like running in at the herd a little bit and then backing off. And then the herd will like run over there and then run over there. And, and then the, the indigenous guy says, you know what they're doing? The wolves are checking to see if the herd's strong. Because if there's an animal that gets left behind, it's not strong enough to run. That's the one they're going to take. And it just was like that. Oh, oh, there's, it's not just competition. There's cooperation in this weird dynamic that nature has created here. Now, um, I don't think coming back to our topic of discussion that it's possible for the large scale in, 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 in you know, rooted powers that be to evolve without 
dynamics of conflict, dynamics of tension, dynamics of something. They're not going to just move out of the way. And so if you want to be good at being a prey animal, you develop behaviors that are good at perceiving the traps that are being set and, and avoiding them. Um, so I don't know what they are in this case, though, exactly. <laughs> I suppose it could be like overregulation, like you said, is one thing, maybe potentially. Um, or, or, or the governments could just sort of deny that this should exist at all and say it's banned like they did in China. Like, well, in terms of the actual dangers to the, the prey, um, inflation is, is one of those dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a couple things that are really quite um, dangerous to um, society. Um, one of them is hunger. There's there's no more politically destabilizing force than um, a hungry mob. Mm-hmm. Um, another is inflation, um, mm-hmm. where because so many people get left behind, where you know the ten dollars you have today, that that whole system of trust that we were discussing, where I give you ten dollars and this thing is worth ten dollars. Well, if the next day you go in and that thing is now worth a hundred dollars you still only have $10. Hmm. So you get a lot of people that get start to left who get left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more people that get left behind are people that aren't really in the system anymore. And if they're not within the system, why would they do anything but destabilize the existing system, right? Yes. Well, that's come back to this communication issue of, of, of as new things emerge, how well is the emergence understood and integrated with and everything um but but see what you're talking about too is i was thinking in terms of like the pitfalls that could come up to prevent cryptocurrencies from evolving on their own but but yeah society as a whole is facing problems never mind the cryptocurrency and those problems i mean you're exactly right like hunger i mean that's the end of civilized behavior that's that's what that is and then you know inflation is is another way to achieve hunger in a kind of an indirect way like it leads to that because what that really is is just scarcity you're you're gonna have to fight to survive well then the fight comes out and then the humanity gets thrown out the window and so it's interesting in history like this does happen where something is going to fall apart and you can kind of see that it's starting to fall apart. It's like a dinosaur. It's a big old thing. Um, and something new is emerging. And as one falls and the other one rises, there's this unknown period of like, whether is this going to, you know, is this going to work or not? And I, and I think we're there in, in a lot of ways with that. I think it's early for cryptocurrency specifically, but I think there, I think the dinosaur is, is falling in, in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we kind of have the elements for uh, a bit of a perfect storm in many mm. respects, where you have inflation, um, you have rising uh, energy prices, so the, the cost of oil, which directly impacts the price of food because mm. we have such energy-intense farming practices. Um, like that's a whole other podcast on how stupid that system is mm-hmm. uh, when, when there's so many uh, better systems that we could be using. Um, but on top of that, you also have climate change, which increases the extreme events in which crops will fail. So more floods, more droughts, more extreme weather means less stable crops, which means that on top of high gas prices, that on top of inflation, 
the cost of food could very well start to increase dramatically in the next few years, just as this kind of perfect storm is happening. Mm-hmm. Now, I think some countries are going to be able to better handle that than others, basically based on how much real wealth they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, yeah, but that's what I'm thinking is like, all these things are coming together to create a position where there's going to be a forced choice for society. Like you're not just going to be able to like sort of put it off and put it off and put it off. Eventually we're going to have to do something. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this guy and I'm not that aware of him. I think his name is Michael Schellenberger, Schellenberger. Um, and he's, um, he's, he's trying to get to be, to be a voice in the, in the issues with what to do about the climate change issue and the, global economy like the big scale issues and and i and I, one of the things he talks about and i think has got a, is a good point is if you want people to care about the environment let's say they can't be starving because in such a mindset that you barely can survive day to day you're not going to be able to think about and again this is an abstraction the environment the environment is an abstraction so if you want people to to be able to care about these things, and I do want people to care about these things, um, they have to have stable lives. And so that focus has, to, that's so important to me. It's like, you know, we can't have a good conversation if you're freaking out, right? Like you, we, we <laughs> so, so how do we, how do we, how do we stabilize production of fundamental things, food and everything, and then allow that to, to continue while we change out all these other parts of the system? That's a hell of a challenge. It's changing the engine on a car that's going 100 miles per hour. It's, <laughs> uh, right. it's, it's not easy. Um, no. But no. It's, it's kind of required. And then again, these, it, it, these systems aren't so much a car as they are a, a living being. And, and living beings have cells dying and being created all the time. These living beings also have health issues. They also have incredible resiliency. Mm-hmm. So I think... It's going to be an interesting time. I think it's going to be, you know, tough times ahead. Um, the, the the likelihood of tough times ahead is greater than the the likelihood of you know achieving whatever utopian dreams we've been looking for for <laughs> <laughs> since uh, the beginning of human society. Yeah, well, <laughs> but uh, we're, just keep grinding away, I guess. <laughs> well, so so I I, I don't. I, I, I won't go to the point where I'm like, oh, it's going to become like Mad Max world. I, I don't feel that's true. I know that's a possibility. Um, but, I, you know, the utopian thing, like, no, of course not. That's, that's not. But, but those are extremes, right? Somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm pretty grateful that I am in Canada in the sense that Canada does produce a lot of food or can produce a lot of food, does have a lot of natural resources. If we could just get that to be more useful to us directly, you know, and all that. Um, there is major pushback obviously going on in the, in the situation out there in the world right now. And that's one of those things where I'm really, it's the same with the cryptocurrency. It's like, I hope it goes towards a good end because it is an explosion of energy that to me was inevitable, had to come up at some point. And just like somebody like, you know, flailing their arms around, they could smash into the wall or it could smooth itself out and make a nice day. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but you, you know, like, like it, all this energy is going to go somewhere is my point. You can't, you can't deny the energy's existence. Corralling it into a good place would be better than not. Um, but I want to, I want to bring up one more thing, totally kind of out of left field. And then maybe we can sort of look at wrapping it up a bit, but, um, and this was a request from somebody who had listened to the podcast, who was interested in your thoughts on this. 
because you're you know you're the you're the expert here on this. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> is um. Uh, 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 these NT, NTFs, NTFs, NFTs, 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 sorry. Yeah. NFTs. Yeah. I'm barely aware of them. Do you, do you have a good understanding of them? Uh, yes, yes. Um, NFTs, uh, is, it's an acronym for non-fungible token, um, where something like Bitcoin is fungible in the sense that one Bitcoin can be replaced by another Bitcoin and it's still just one Bitcoin. Um, non-fungible tokens are um there's there's scarcity in them where one nft is not the same as another nft um much like one baseball card isn't the same as another baseball card even if they're the same baseball card Mm. there's differences in wear and tear maybe this one is signed maybe that one you know uh was you know has nostalgic value from when you got it as a kid kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know um, so they are. There is that sense of digital uh, scarcity. Um, NFTs um, have again. It's one of those things that has a lot of potential, um, but it's also one of those things where it really came to the fore. You know, as part of this huge bull run from 2020, where everything there's so much more money pouring into the space, where um, basically people created these. Are, and still are creating these NFT projects where, um, you know, it's essentially a, a, um, a digital picture, like a little piece of art that has some kind of generative aspects where it's like, you know, maybe the ears will be different on this NFT, maybe the mouth will be different on NFT. There's, there's generative um, aspects to each piece of art, and there's a limited number, like 10,000 of these digital art pieces. Um, and so if you have that, well, then you, you have it on the blockchain, so it can be bought and sold for real monies, um, or at least Ethereum or uh, some of these other, uh, I don't know if you call it cryptocurrencies real money or not, but you can trade the value that uh, these NFT projects have. So they will go on a platform and they'll sell these 10,000 NFTs. People buy them. And if enough people buy them, it drives the price price way up. Um, so you can actually turn it into um, a, a way to make money in theory. Um, okay. So so because I, I'm, I'm really new at this one, um, uh, there, I understand the idea of digital art. And I understand the idea of like multiple like prints of the art where there's variation and and, and that all that's simple. But what's the relationship then to these NFTs and cryptocurrency? Did did they evolve out of the cryptocurrency ecosystem somehow? Yeah, it's a type of token. So if you consider Bitcoin or Ethereum, that's the token. Um, You can create a new kind of token um, and you can actually write rules for there's only 10,000 of this token and it has these properties. You can, you can actually um, it's, it's in many respects kind of programmable money. (laughs) (laughs) um, Really what what they're called is smart contracts. Um, They're not exactly all that smart, but they do allow you to write rules for how this token is interacted with. Hmm. Um, So you could create a, you know, 
you could create a token that has only one of them, or there's only one Bitcoin, and you can't actually divide that into smaller pieces. It's just that one is the one, and you can write rules where if it gets sent to someone else, you get a cut of the profit, or you know, you can write all these uh. rules and all these properties from it. Um, so it's just a type of, of token, but this token has the property of it has really big ears, and this one has really small eyes, and this one is holding a piece of pizza or something silly like that. Okay, okay. So that's really interesting, because now in my mind, it sounds like it's like uh, taking the idea that currency is an abstraction that you, you, and, and just running with it, like, <laughs> like taking that idea as far as you can go. But like, as much as to me, that's really kind of neat um, because I, I, I like, I'm very, I like very imaginative. I like like wild ideas. I'm, I have fun playing with all kinds of ideas, but, but if I take this back to reality, like, you know, got concrete reality, wouldn't that get, couldn't you get too abstract with that? It'd be like the game where little kids play where they're like, well, I made up this rule. And then another kid is like, oh, I made up this rule. And like, nothing can like function. Um, a little bit. One of the things that um, prevents um, too much of that is happening is uh, every time you're interacting um, with the blockchain, every time you're interacting with this resource, um, you have to spend a little bit of money to do so. Hmm. Um, so if you're on the Ethereum blockchain, and this is actually to prevent people from like, you know, doing weird things of like just hammering the network with too much nonsense. Um, if you have to pay every time you use it, then it, you know, it kind of incentivizes you only to use it for relatively productive purposes. Yeah. Um, in terms of running wild with it, that is kind of what cryptocurrency is, is doing right now that it's taking some of these ideas and running with it and it's just throwing stuff on the wall. Hmm. One of the things that got thrown on the wall was, well, what if we made um, pictures of these little cute cartoon ape characters and started selling them on a platform that took off. Hmm. And, you know, these, the, these apes can go for millions of dollars, like actually millions of dollars. And that is ridiculous that, that, <laughs> They're sure they are digital scare, digitally scarce. You you definitely are the owner of these things, but I mean, I also find a lot of the high art that you can get at like, you know, those auctions where they go for million dollars. I find that ridiculous as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it and it is very much speculatively driven. It's yeah. it's more the price and the community and the signaling yeah. that you can afford these things. All of that is fine, um, but I think in terms of being able to take something like money and write the rules of money into it and be able to anyone design a contract and that contract is part of the money on a very integral level, that's super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, expensive pictures of apes, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> so it, again, it's that there's a lot of potential in this, yeah. but... I'm not super interested in NFTs as they are expressed right now. Hmm. Um, the things that are super successful, um, like, and I've done things like mint an NFT. Um, one hmm. of the songs that I made, I actually had ha turned it into an NFT and I have it on the marketplace. Hmm. And so far, nobody has wanted to pay me $2,000 for my <laughs> song. 
So your mileage may vary. Um, (laughs) And there there are a lot of scams involved with with a specific space because there's more money than sense right now. (laughs) I agree with you. This is really interesting. I didn't understand it basically at all until this conversation right now. And now I'm like, oh, holy cow. But I think you hit the nail on the head there too about this idea of like, the fun abstract creation of whatever you want it to be versus the fact that money has to be contained within an exchange dynamic that is fair to everybody. And, and you can't just go off on your own completely that, but that's still really an interesting place because it's, well, it's the most abstract concept of currency I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. It's wild. And I, you know what I was just thinking, what we were talking, I was just thinking, I wonder if you could make a song into an NFT because if you can do a visual art, why not with an audio sample right like so you're saying that that's totally possible yes now you can also you know right click on that on that piece of picture and say save to file and (laughs) have it um and and that is one of the the kind of the the big criticisms is um digital assets on on the internet are you know easy to replicate in some cases like especially like a picture you see on the internet anyone can save a picture on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if it's say, you know, the, the, um, uh, the Ableton file for the song that you made, well, that's, that's a bit different or mm. this kind of, you know, a piece of one, one of the tracks that you use that you can, you know, there, there are interesting things that could come out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just, a, there's two problems. One, um, in order to interact with these smart contracts, at least on Ethereum, which is the biggest uh, smart contract blockchain, um, it's like $100 for any of these transactions, Mm. which makes sense that these are million dollar pieces of art that are being traded because that uh, $100 fee isn't gonna be really, who cares when when you're trading millions of dollars. Um, But less valuable things, it's, it's much harder to have that value proposition because it's so expensive because there's so many people using this blockchain and the, basically the blockchain is overloaded. And so mm. it has to have these super high fees in order to you know, keep, it, keep the processing within its limits. Okay. Well, that makes sense. it does, it does. And I mean, this is all such new territory that I can see that you know, it's going to have to be made up as it goes along to accommodate growth. And, and, and if that's, that's what's going on there, that's like, I get that, but <laughs> I'm just thinking about like, I've actually been working on some songs for the last while that, you know, have been interrupted for lots of reasons. Um, and, um, and one of the things you can do with songs when there's enough instrumentation, I mean, you, you know, what you're doing with instrumentation is you can do mixes where there's different, um, you know, like genres almost coming out of it essentially. Right. And um, I was thinking about like, oh, I could, well, this mix could be like an NFT and then this mix could be like another one, right? Like then you, but then, yeah, I don't want to go too far. Like I'm just thinking about things that are too personal in that way, but um, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. Um, I can see it being super popular in the, the ultra like clicky, elite artistic crowd because of that way that they function. But this comes back to something else that I, I was interested in in the last conversation we had on the podcast and see if it maybe it could correlate is you talked about like regional currencies potentially developing and how you know Vancouver Island maybe as an example could develop its own currency um 
it could become like a personalized currency then, right? It could be like a, a you could really put your own twist into it in some in some ways. Yeah, they do have. Um, there, there is. Um, I forget what it's called, um, but I was I was looking at it a few months ago. There is a um, like a blockchain kind of service thing that allows like celebrities or anybody really um, to create their own token. Um, so it'll be like this celebrity's token, um, and you know you can anyone can buy it, and you know most of the time it's you know not very valuable, but um, you could get into some weird, some interesting things like um, if you have the, this token, um, it also counts as like a, a ticket to their next show kind of mm. thing, um, mm. or you know access to you know an early an early stage of recording, like a like a demo recording mm. kind of thing, like the like a listening party kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's one of the things where. Um, because these NFTs live on the blockchain, they're technically there forever, um, or as long as the blockchain is there. So if you hold it, then in theory, you can add more utility to it over time, where you can say, okay, now it's a ticket in this context. And okay, now it's, you know, because you have this, you get uh, to access the album early or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, that kind of, it does allow those avenues. Um, yeah. There are early signs of it. Um, hasn't really taken off quite yet, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where, in many respects, if you can think it, it might be possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. That's that's exactly like where my mind is sitting with this is because it's like this is on the cutting edge of what human imagination is capable of manifesting within this system and like this, but um. I, so I, I, I know it needs to be grounded in reality and the basis of functionality. Like it has to have this, but I'm, I'm, I like artism. I like artistic stuff. I like it when people can put their own flavor into things. And, and, I, and I'm just finished reading a book called um, Stand Tall, My Son, which is a guy named George. I'm probably going to get this wrong. George Klutzi, something like this. And he was an indigenous guy that grew up in, in off Vancouver Island. Um, and his early years had no European contact because they were very isolated. And then he later in life became, the, the world caught up with him basically. And um, he talks about how everybody would always customize their their stuff in their life in, in those days. So if you, were, uh, if you were making a paddle to go with your canoe, you'd have your own family's like totem sort of carved into the paddle. Mm. And, and how there was such, they would develop such pride in, in their, in their, in their, in their lives through this. And I was like, that's actually a pretty good idea. And this is like this really crazy internet abstraction idea that might kind of be the same sort of, at least from my, you know, limited understanding. Yeah. There's, there's elements of that. Um, There's also elements of the, you know, darker side of, of humans where people Mm. generate these things purely to try and and get other people to buy them just so that they can make a whole lot of money and and abandon the project um all of these systems are as complex and as messy as humans are um, and the narratives we form around them are either thing good or thing mm-hmm. bad um i think one of the things that you're trying to do on this podcast and the things that i try to do is to try to get away from thing good and thing bad and really get to what is thing yeah. <laughs> what is thing i like that yes i 100 agree with you 100 oh. yeah um um 
that that's the whole, yeah that is that is largely the point it's largely the point of uh, i think to me of the fun of life too because if i already know what everything is then what's the fun of going and living <laughs> i want to go find out i want to go and experience to know in in that sense and if you're going around and saying everything new is bad <laughs> you're never going to have a nice surprise in life and if you go around saying everything is good well mm. you're going to get burned and you're yes. going to you're going to yes. learn all about the predator and prey dynamics so yeah. <laughs> that's that's the messy beauty of humanity and uh yeah it is so yeah. i think i think we do live in a world i think we live in a world where there are a lot of abstractions and in many cases we over abstract things mm -hmm. um, and we really do boil things down to either thing is maximally good or maximally bad or mm -hmm. I have decided that this thing is like this and, and mm -hmm. that's just the way it is um, and I think it life gets a lot more interesting if you can kind of peel back those narratives kind of peel back the abstraction and kind of get that through line to what is the real world? What is what is actually going on underneath? Yeah, um, and that's that to me. That's like the the how do I put it? That, that's like the intellectual focus goes to a place that's more open. Like so, you're open to things. But then I think that uh, something at least potentially can happen there, which I think is to me is important. Which is a sense that it's hard not to describe in spiritual terms, but a sense of awe and wonder in the world that you live in. So if I know what everything is in the world or I've determined what category everything is and there's no wonder left, then it's like, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy the beauty of the sunset because you're going to assume that it's kind of like within this frame you've already understood instead of seeing the nuance in it. And that's, um, that got to throw that, throw another uh, uh, shout out to Titna Han, the, the Cambodian monk, because that was one of his big messages. And that really hit me when I read his books is he was talking about um, every single tree, I think it was what it was, is different. If you really take the time to look at it, no two trees are the same. That's pretty incredible, actually, considering how many trees there are. And that's available to you all the time. Every moment of every day, you can just pull back and be like, holy, this is amazing. Um, and so... Yeah, that balancing that, as you said, with the fact that human nature has these ugly sides that are going to be there and going to take advantage of these things. And if we can be open enough to see the whole picture and then still aim ourselves towards a positive end result, because I think that's important too. You have to think, I want to be somewhere good. I don't want it to just randomly go in any direction. Um, then, yeah, who knows what could come out of this? Because I didn't think that, you know, a month ago, what has happened in the last month was going to happen. Like you just don't know what's going to happen. And so, so yeah, I'm let's, let's, let's jump into sort of bring this to a, to a, to an end point is if the principles are always for the best for the humanity and as, from the most honest perspective that we can have allowing for the new growth to come in where, where it needs to, and, 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 and the accountability to come in the old and all this, all these things. Um, then I think we could push forward to a better world. I'd like to, I'd like to think that that's a possibility, I think. Um, and hopefully with these kinds of conversations and, and many, many other people having them, hopefully, um, um, we can actually, yeah, sort of get going in that way. So yeah. anything else you want to throw in for the moment? Uh, just just one, one thought I had uh, when you're talking about um, uh, how every, every tree is unique. Um, we, we always say, uh, don't miss the forest for the trees. Um, but I think it's just as important to not miss the trees for the forest.
Well, that's that, the balance, right? The balance. Exactly. It's always that. And, and it's always been that too. I mean, that's, that's an interesting part of life is we have new technologies and we have new capabilities because of that, but we're still the same creature that we were 2000 years ago. So absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, as always, there's always these things where in my mind where I have these great conversations, I could go this way and that way forever, ever. But I think we did a good job of getting through the base of what we're trying to keep the conversation about. Um, your, your insights are uh, welcome and appreciated, Justin. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always, always a pleasure. No, it's, that's, that's the nice thing about these things is it goes two, two ways. Um, do you want to throw out your newsletter? Um, uh, yeah, so um, I have a website. It's, um, well, basically, it's a, it's a blog at this point, uh, jerkytreats.dev. Um, I'm, I'm writing once a month, um, just kind of whatever pops in my head. Most of it is about crypto, um, although some of it is about macroeconomics and kind of the, the, the monetary system at large and kind of what it means. What is this abstraction of money and how is it changing and how is it evolving? It's, so if you, if you like this conversation, you want more, it's all at jerkytreats.dev. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again. And uh, we'll have you again on uh, in the future. Perfect. All right. All right. Thanks, Lucas. Take care. Bye.